Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I'm glad you joined us for this episode of This Week in the Word. We're in Revelation, God Rules. That's episode 7, The Sixth Trumpet and Second Woe. The episode for Sunday, February 26, 2023. We're glad you're with us today for our study through the book of the Revelation. As I've said to others who've joined us a little late, if you have not heard the previous episodes, I encourage you to go back and catch up. If you do just one a day, you'll be caught right up with us for next week. But we're glad you're here today. D.L. Cooper in his book, The Golden Rule of Interpretation, said this, When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. Therefore, take every word at its primary, ordinary, usual, literal meaning, unless the facts of the immediate context studied in the light of related passages and axiomatic and fundamental truths indicate clearly otherwise. And that's the path we're following as we read and study the book of the Revelation. We believe that the vast uh, bulk of the book of the Revelation is yet future to us. Some of it has been completed, and you'll have to go back to the early episodes and catch up with that. Well, have you ever heard of warm-up events and practice drills? (laughs) I think we're going through that as some type of ramp-up to the tribulation period. Dioxin, anyone? (laughs) Of course not. Nobody wants that. But the people in the Ohio River Valley have plenty of it. And people in West Virginia and Maryland are concerned that some of that fallout has landed in their states as well. Wars and rumors of wars. We know very well about that now because you can go on YouTube or listen to the news any day of the week right now, and it's wars and rumors of wars, just as the Lord Jesus Christ said it would be prior to his return. Did you know that the China-backed World Health Organization, yes, WHO of the United Nations, now has authority over the pandemic policies of the majority of the nations of the world, including the United States of America. Oh, Pastor Ed, that can't possibly be true. I tell you what, there's a meeting on Monday, February 27th to work out the details. And I don't know how quickly it'll be worked out, but the United States is signing on to that. And in the next great pandemic, which Bill Gates talks about, the next one coming, and that worries me, but in the next great pandemic, the World Health Organization will be able to tell you what to do. I want you to think that through. Russia, Russia, Russia. It's always Russia and Ukraine and NATO. And all of these together are bringing the world to the razor's edge of nuclear war. What about CBDC? No, not something like you go and take so you can feel less pain. I'm talking about central bank digital currencies. Japan has announced that in April, its economy will switch from cash to a central bank digital currency. We'll see if that happens, but that's what they've announced. Other companies, uh, countries rather, are already experimenting with this or making concrete plans to move away from cash to digital currency. And you might ask, what's the problem there? Hey, what could possibly go wrong with all of your cash being converted to digital money that someone else can control with a click? What could possibly go wrong there? Figure it out, folks. And there appears to be continuing right now. I mean, if I had to describe it I would describe it this way. There appears to be a war on food. That just doesn't seem very smart to me, but you could probably count on one or two hands the number of 
food distribution warehouses and food storage warehouses and, you know, factories that produce food, you can probably count on maybe both hands the number of those that have been destroyed in your entire lifetime until about the last year when we are now well over 100 such facilities have been destroyed, most of them within the United States. And I could give you other examples of that relating to crops and fertilizer and livestock and on down the line. And then there's bank glitches. One of the largest banks in the United States, maybe the world, recently had bank glitches where people could not use online banking and apparently could not get money out of the bank for most of a day. This, of course, freaked everyone out. And there have been other smaller banks which have experienced bank glitches. Did you know that Israel right now and it may have already happened by the time you hear this, but right now, Israel is on high alert and poised militarily to obliterate Iran's nuclear weapons program. And they believe the window is closing to stop it. So they're running out of time and they will act. Now, that's just things that have happened within the past seven to 10 days. Think about what I just said. I think it's all just a ramp up, a dry run, a dress rehearsal, a war game, a walkthrough compared to the awful future the earth faces. Now, I've got a listener warning here. If you came here for your daily fix of positive mental attitude so that you can live your best life now, man, are you in for a shock. Let's go to Revelation 9, verses 12 through 21. Now, we have come up to the sixth trumpet in the book of the Revelation and the second woe. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you've got to go back to the previous episode and that will make more sense. But for those who've been with us, you know where we are. So let's go to Revelation 9, 12 through 21. One woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. Now, what is that idea of the word woe? A woe is an awful experience and judgment from God. One is past in Revelation that we've we've already read what's coming, Two more are coming, and these are awful. Verse 13, And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. Now let's stop right there before we go further. The sixth angel blows the trumpet and then this voice, which I believe is God, commands that the Four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates, be released. And they have been bound and kept in prison. We don't know how, we don't know where, but somewhere in the river Euphrates, you're asking right now, how is that possible? I don't know. I'm just reporting what the book of the Revelation says. Now, I want to help you out right here. It is, it is not necessary in studying or reading, or preaching through the book of the Revelation to attach an understanding to every single thing that is said, every single word. I think that's where we get in big trouble. If God wanted us to know more about it, he would have told us more about it, right? Just accept that the second woe is coming, and it involves four angels, 
I believe these are evil angels that are bound in the great river Euphrates, and when they're loose, and, and they're set aside for that hour, that day, that month, there, that year, so a specific hour, a literal hour, I believe, in the course of human history, yet future. And what is, what is the reason they're released? Let me read it again. For to slay, that means kill, for to slay the third part of men. Now, right about here, people who allegorize and spiritualize Revelation will go into some crazy tangent about, well, whatever could this mean? And they'll give crazy ideas about it. I think it means exactly what it says. Four angels, we don't know who they are or anything about them, but they are so powerful and so evil that God has kept them uh, chained up, kept them bound in the great river Euphrates for a specific hour in human history, an hour, a day, a month, and a year. God knows when that'll be. We don't, but it's still coming in the future. And a third part of men will be slain. <laughs> that is a powerful thing, and we're gonna address that in a few moments. Now, it goes on without it stopping. I stop, but it reads right on, and it says, and the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand. And I heard the number of them. In Greek, this is, uh, you know, like two myriads of myriads. Just Greek, the word myriad means a number that can't even be imagined. Let's put it that way. Well, this is double that amount. Is it literally 200 million men? Maybe, maybe it's symbolic. The point is, there's an army of horsemen that numbers 200,000 thousand or 200 million, and I heard the number of them. Now, this is where we've got to just hang on and trust God. I'm gonna read this, and it describes this army. Is it a human army? Maybe, but it'll be demonized for sure. Is it an army of demons which people can't see? Maybe. Is it an army of demons people can see? Maybe. When it happens, everyone on the earth who is alive when this happens will be able to say, what I'm seeing is what's recorded right here. And it will be exactly as recorded. So, that's about as far as I can go, but let's read what's going to happen. And thus I saw the horses in the vision and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone and the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails were like unto serpents and had heads and with them they do hurt. And the rest of the men, now this is the kicker right here. Listen carefully. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. Now let's go back and look at this. So this 200 million man army, whatever it is, some have said these, this is John's attempt to try to describe modern uh, military hardware like tanks and helicopters and such. I don't know, maybe, 
We're not told. That's the, that's the important thing. We don't have to know the details to know that a third part of the human race is going to drop dead when this occurs. Whatever it means and however it happens. By the way, sometimes people in Bible prophecy conflate, that is, unintentionally mix together something that Chairman Mao, the Communist Chinese Party leader back in the um, 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s, I believe, he was quoted in a Time magazine article, I believe it was May of 1965, he boasted that China could easily field a 200 million man army and militia. And by the way, the reason he could say that was they had the philosophy and practice of every citizen a soldier. They trained the average citizen how to be a soldier, even though they were not in the army, and they comprised a very large military force in China. But people often conflate that quote of Chairman Mao with the 200 million here, and it's, it's not the same thing. We're going to see the kings of the East in Revelation later, and I believe that does probably involve China. But here, this 200 million man army, we don't know if it's a real army. We don't know if it's a, a demonized army. We don't know if it's demons that people can see or can't see. We don't know that. We do know that when the four angels are loosed and this army is let loose on the world, a third of mankind dies. But in spite of all that evidence and judgment, a Christ-rejecting world doubles down. No, we will not repent. Now, what do they not repent of? <laughs> they do not repent of idolatry. That is, uh, of the works of their hands, as they should not worship devils. That's the idea of demons. Did you know that people worshiping demons today is a thing? Well, it's always been a thing. We know that the literal wooden or stone idol, that it, it's just an inanimate thing. We understand that. But we know from the writings in the New Testament that the, the energizing power of idolatry are the demons behind idol worship. Now get that through your head. If you're worshiping an idol, you're ultimately worshiping demons. Stop. Repent. But people even worship demons without even using idols today. This is a big thing today of people consorting with demonic spirits intentionally. They know they're doing this and they like it and they won't repent of it. And so he says that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Now right about here, in your average Christian sermon or Bible study lesson about idols is where immediately the preacher or teacher goes to think of idols today. You know, the sports team that you would die for and, you know, your family and all of that. And all of that's true. We get that. We can put a lot of things before God and that's sin. And if you're doing that, repent of it. But right here, it's literally talking about people bowing down to wooden and stone and brass and silver and gold statues, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Apparently, that's going to be an increasingly big deal, even in the tribulation. And we know that ultimately the Antichrist, at the suggestion of the false prophet, there will the, the world will create an image of the beast, and they will worship this beast. And we'll, we'll see more of that. I think I said that right, but we'll let the book of the Revelation correct me when we get to Revelation 13. There's a lot of details here, folks. Now, verse 21. Now, what we're about to read goes to kind of where the heart is, all right? Neither repented they of their murders. You know what that word is in Greek? Murders! <laughs> It's talking about killing people. I mean, even today, people are killing people at a prolific rate. It's crazy. Neither repented they of their murders, 
nor of their sorceries. Pharmacon, we get our word pharmacy from this. And the Greek word pharmakia means the use of drugs, but specifically the use of drugs as a gateway to the other world, to the demonic, to a heightened religious experience. And you better believe that goes on today. And in the tribulation period ahead for the world, it will be present there on steroids. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication. This is all types of sexual immorality. By the way, it's, it's interesting that idolatry is mentioned in verse 20, and then in verse 21, not only do we have murders mentioned, not repented of, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication. Very often, I would say always, ultimately, idolatry involves demonic consorting, the use of, of drugs, and immorality. So the world, completely enslaved to this, will double and triple and quadruple down on, you're right, we won't repent, and we love it, and we're proud of it. And listen, God's going to lower the hammer, people. So it says, neither repented they of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. That's, you don't need a PhD to understand this. That's stealing of all the ways people steal. Now let's look at this death of one-third of the Earth's remaining population. And I'm quoting from John MacArthur in his volume, uh, Revelation chapters 1 to 11. And this is what John MacArthur says. And I thought this was so good. I thought, I'm just going to let John MacArthur say it. The death of one-third of the Earth's remaining population will be the most catastrophic disaster to strike the Earth since the flood. And he's talking about Noah's flood. Yet, in an amazing display of hardness of heart, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent. It is unimaginable that after years of suffering and death under the terrifying judgments from God, coupled with the powerful preaching of the gospel by the 144,000 Jewish evangelists that we see in Revelation 7, 1 through 8, the two witnesses in Revelation 11, 1 to 14, we'll see them in a minute, an angel in the sky, Revelation 14, 6 and 7, and other believers, Matthew 24, 14, the survivors will still refuse to repent. That is amazing. I will never forget the first time I ever personally saw idols. I didn't go on a mission trip to a foreign country and see it. Now, I've seen pictures and TV and all of that and movies about that, but I didn't go on a mission trip to personally see it. I saw it in the United States. It was in a house in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And there was a room that was completely empty of everything except a little stand, like a, like a set of shelves. And on the shelves were tiny little, you know, what we would think of as figurines, uh, like, you know, junk people put in their living room. That's the way I look at it. I look closer, though, and these, these were not little porcelain figurines of ballerinas and that kind of thing. They were idols, Indian idols. I kid you not. I was completely floored. I could not believe what I was seeing. And yet today, now you listen to me. Now, if you're, you're not a Christian, you don't claim to be, and maybe you do this, I'm calling you out because it's wrong. But I'm, I'm aiming a lot of this, though, right now at people who say they're Christians. Listen to me, and you listen good. Harry Potter and that whole series, you may say, oh, that's just children's writings, and it's a, like a fable, and blah, blah, blah. 
man, I'm telling you what, I don't know how that lady came up with this stuff, <laughs> but Harry Potter is a, a re, it's like the recruiter branch for interesting young children and teens in the occult, period. I don't want to hear no more argument about it. A Christian who loves the Lord Jesus Christ has no business consorting with any of the dark occult. Now, I don't even know a lot about all of that. And somebody may say, oh, well, he's fighting the evil. It's all evil, people. Come on, repent of that. The Enneagram, I can't even describe what that is because it's too complicated. But if you're involved in that, I want you to know one thing. This was started about 100 years ago, almost 100 years ago, and it came from a demon spirit through a medium. And this became a thing, and now it's been popularized. If you are dealing with the Enneagram, you are dealing with something from hell. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, do not argue with me. You go do your study. Ouija boards. I'm not even going into that. If you don't know that by now and you say you're a Christian, shame on you. The use of crystals. The, the idea that you can consult demons, necromancy, that is consulting with the dead, which really you're not talking to a deceased person. It is a demonic spirit impersonating that deceased person to ensnare you. Witchcraft, which is trying to learn how to control your world through spells to gain power, Say, well, that can't possibly be real. It's real. Come on, people. Man, I'm getting angry here. Sexual immorality, drugs and thefts and all of that. Man, you, if you name the name of Christ, you need to repent of that and be done with it. And if you're not a Christian and you're enslaved by that, I've got great news for you. Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from your sins and to free you from the control of Satan and his demons. And if you repent right now and call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ will save you and free you because he defeated death. And as we know in Revelation, God rules. Jesus Christ rules, not the Antichrist. Let's go to Revelation 10, verses 1 through 11. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. Many people believe this could be the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just reading what it says. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven. So I think this is exactly what it says, a mighty angel, all right? But you may see it differently. Verse two, and he had in his hand a little book open. So this is not the same scroll that the Lord Jesus Christ has opened the seven seals of already that we've seen in Revelation. This is a different type of book and he had in his hand a little book open. And he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth. Now, this is a mighty angel, amen? I think, I didn't even need a commentary to tell me this. It sounds to me like he's saying God's in charge. Land and sea, he owns it all, baby. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. Now, many people have tried to figure out what the seven thunders said. And you know what? We don't know. And anybody guessing, hey, give it up. 
God told John to seal it up and write them not. Seal up those things which are seven thunders ordered and write them not. So you are wasting your time trying to worry and wonder about what they uttered. Has it occurred to you yet as a Christian that even though you may pray a lot and read your Bible a lot and go to church and fellowship with Christians, there's a whole lot more that we don't know than we do know. And I'm okay with that because the secret things belong to God. Amen? Say, well, we'll know when we go to heaven. Maybe, maybe we won't. I'm good with it either way. God is God and I'm not. That is a huge revelation if you haven't discovered it yet. There's only one God and you're not him. So let's just move on. We don't know what the seven thunders uttered and there's no point in speculating. Verse five, and the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that there are therein are and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea and the things which are therein that there should be time no longer. Now, before we look at time no longer, I just want to say this. If you have, if you have abandoned the truth that God created all things out of nothing, he created the heaven, the things that are in the earth, the things that are in the sea. God created the universe, period. He didn't need nor use evolution. I do not have the time to go into how we do not need evolution. And there's some great Christians who are also great scientists who do a great job of explaining how evolution is completely hopeless. Even many very brilliant scientists are abandoning evolution. It is an insufficient answer. And right here, we're told that God created heaven, created earth, the things that are in both and in the sea, and he's in charge. If you don't believe that, you might want to question whether you're really a Christian or not. Just saying. Because that's the truth. But this angel says that there should be time no longer. Now, does it mean that time ceases to be, but there will be no more delay? It's like, hey, time is up. Verse seven, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound the mystery of God. Now that mystery means something that was concealed that we could only know if God revealed it. So it's not like something we can't know but because God's gonna show it to us. He unveils it. When he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants, the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, go and take the little book, which is, in, which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, give me the little book. And he said unto me, take it and eat it up and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. Now this is this concept is, we've already seen it before in scripture. So it comes back here in Revelation. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. Ooh, man. Have you ever eaten something and it didn't take long after you ate it that you would say, man, I wish I'd have not eaten that? Well, then you know how John felt. So John loves God's word, but the bitterness of it is in verse 11. And he said unto me, thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Victorinus in about uh, the 300s 
He was the first one to write a commentary on the book of the Revelation. He said that when Domitian, the Roman emperor at that time, the Caesar, when he died, that all the people that Domitian had in prison were released. And he said it was, that's how John was able to get off the Isle of Patmos and spread the truth of the book of the Revelation. And that's the only explanation I've ever heard. Uh, I was wondering about that, even in one of the episodes, I think. And there's my answer right there, that that's how John was freed. And this is what it even says. It says, and he said unto me, thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So apparently that's what happened. Now let's go to Revelation 11. And by the way, you'll notice that, that we've already had the seventh trumpet mentioned. And we're, we're going to have to work through this because basically from this point forward, a great ways into the book of the Revelation, we're going to see the seventh trumpet played out. And it doesn't, I don't think it takes us quite to the end. Some people think it does. But the point is, is that in the seventh trumpet is where the seven bowls are also released. And so we go all the way from Revelation 11, all the way to basically the return of Christ, or at least, uh, yeah, I would say to the return of Christ in the second coming. So um, it's complicated to explain. Just stay with me through the series. Revelation 11, 1 through 14. And there was given me, now we're still in, I would say still in the sixth trumpet, is what I would say. Say, well, didn't you study this? Man, have I studied this. But this is a lot to keep together in one little brain, right? <laughs> and there was given me a reed like unto a rod. So in ancient times, there would be a, uh, a reed, you know, around a river, and people would use that. They would know them, you know, make it a certain length, and then they could easily measure stuff because this was very lightweight and portable. There was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court, which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles and the holy city shall they tread underfoot 40 and two months. Now let's stop right there. One thing I want you to realize right here is he's not talking about the temple in heaven. Well, how do you know that? Because I'm confident that the Gentiles are not uh, treading underfoot the temple in heaven. Get it? This is go that's going on on the earth during the tribulation. So, so we see in verse two, let's read it again. But the court which was without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles and the holy city, what's that? Jerusalem. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot 40 in two months. Now, the little light bulb, it may be a refrigerator light bulb right now, but hopefully it'll become a, an LED light here very quickly. Say, well, then that means that during the tribulation, there's going to be a temple in Jerusalem. And you, sir, would be right. You are the grand prize winner. You figured that out, right? Think about it. Now, there's no temple in Jerusalem right now, but there's going to be. There have been four temples, and I'll probably forget every one of them right now. There's the one Solomon built. Uh, it was destroyed, of course. Then there's the one that the, uh, the exiles who returned to Jerusalem built. They say that's the second temple. The third was Herod's temple. The fourth will be the temple that the Antichrist comes into during the tribulation. And the fifth will be the one when the Lord Jesus Christ returns in the millennium. All right? There will be a temple rebuilt in Jerusalem and it is, that, it is in that temple, according to Paul in the New Testament, that the Antichrist will go in and say, he's God, worship him. So notice that John is measuring this temple and what he's shown. 
verse 3, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand, two hundred, and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. That's 1,260 days. And we notice that they're clothed in sackcloth, which the prophets sometimes wore because the message they brought was doom and gloom and and they were saddened by it. But also it showed repentance toward God and grieving, all right? So there's two witnesses that are going to minister, I would say, in and around the temple during the tribulation. This happens apparently at some point toward the latter part of the first half of the tribulation. Now, I don't want to get lost in the details on this, but it has to go at least a little bit into the second half, second three and a half years, because we're going to see that the, the beast rises from the dead and slaughters them at some point. We don't know exactly when, but like I've said already in this study, the people living on the earth at the time, when they see it, they will say that's exactly what this said would happen. And it will happen, literally. So the two witnesses are not like the Protestant church and the Catholic church. The two witnesses are not like, uh, I don't know, some great person in history, you know, a uh, historical figure, something like that. These are what? Two witnesses, you know, like prophets, and they're going to prophesy for a th- 1,260 days and they will be clothed in sackcloth and they will bring a bold, ominous message. Verse four, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. God loves these two witnesses and God uses them in a magnificent way because they love and serve him so much. Verse five, by the way, let's stop right here. We gotta answer this question. I know you're asking, well, who are they? Uh, So far in reading this and listening to this multiple times, I haven't seen their names in here yet. Have you? No. It appears that it could be Elijah and Moses. Some people think it's Elijah and Enoch because they are the only two people in history that never died. They were both raptured. That could be, I suppose, but it seems like it's a little closer to Elijah and Moses. Some people think it's two people that have never lived before. Bottom line is, we don't know who it is. Well, let's see what they say and what they do. Verse five. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Well, Pastor Ed, does that mean that literally fire comes out of their mouth? Maybe it does. I don't know. Is that too hard of a thing for God to do? Could they call fire down from heaven? Sure. We don't know how. I, I have no problem saying that it's literally what it says. So how could that be? Listen, friends, how could almost anything that we're reading in Revelation be? But it will be. Do we not already live in amazing times where things you thought you would never see, you're seeing? Come on. When we serve a miracle-working God anyway, So these are witnessing to the Lord Jesus Christ and they're making the Antichrist look really bad, right? (laughs) Verse six, these have power to shut heaven. You know, Elijah did that. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. You know, Moses did that, right? So maybe it's Elijah and Moses. Again, it may be two prophets that the world has never seen. We don't know. We're not told. Verse 7, And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit 
shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. This is the Antichrist, the beast. He is apparently assassinated, murdered. He dies. He comes back to life. Pastor Ed, Pastor Ed, how could that be? I don't know, but I believe God when he says it. Just believe. So the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. So the Antichrist dies, but when he resurrects, he is literally indwelt by Satan. He is Satan incarnate, and Satan through the Antichrist uh, overcomes these prophets and kills them. That's pretty sad, isn't it? Verse 8 gets even worse. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city. Now, what city could that be? Where they were, Jerusalem. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. There's zero doubt this is the literal city of Jerusalem. Verse 9, it gets even worse. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and in half and shall not suffer, that means allow, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they should, that dwell upon the earth, these are the earth dwellers, remember those verses of people who are in heaven? And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and, and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. So it's almost like, you know, Christmas in July or something, if that's when they're killed. The world's so excited. I mean, I mean, they'll be ordering stuff online and it'll be being brought to them by drones and everybody's so happy because these two prophets which have tormented the entire Christ-rejecting world are dead. I don't know if you remember in Mogadishu and the, the Rangers, the United States Army Rangers in Mogadishu, when the Black Hawk went down and you probably you'll never forget seeing those American military personnel being dragged, their bodies being dragged through the streets of Mogadishu. Terrible, terrible scene. This is, we're reading, is even worse than that. Man. But, Verse 11 follows verse 10. And after three days and in half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour that was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake were slain of men 7,000. <coughs> and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. <coughs> so these great prophets are resurrected and the whole world sees it. Now at any previous time in world history, they would be like, yeah, how's that going to happen? <laughs> now you're telling me how it's going to happen. Cell phones, iPads, everything everywhere. People wearing heads up displays. I don't know. The whole world will be able to see this in the remotest part of the world. 
and everybody is going to throw a party. They're going to party like it's 1999. Yeah. I want to quote Joseph A. Seiss, a great Lutheran pastor and theologian who is also, <laughs> this is going to, this is going to make some Lutherans mad, who is also a dispensationalist. He interpreted scripture literally, and he was prolific. I think he wrote over 100 books, and even theologians studied his books. Great man of God. He wrote this in his book, The Apocalypse, Lectures on Revelation. That's by Joseph A. Seiss. These witnesses are individuals, that is, actual people. These witnesses are individuals. No reader of the account, having no preconceived theory to defend, would ever think of taking them for bodies or successions of people, like, like a denomination or something. All the early Fathers, he's talking about the church fathers. All the early fathers from whom we have any testimony on the subject regarded them as two individual men. Whoever the two prophets are, they are real people, whether they've come back or they were born like we all have been and grow up and they are the prophets. So by this time, in the book of the Revelation, the world is hearing about Jesus from 144,000 Jewish Messianic believers in Jesus preaching Jesus, and they have heard from these two powerful witnesses preaching, and they've seen them resurrected, and the world will not repent. Wow. Well, maybe you're saying, well, I'm not among them. I want to repent. How do I become a Christian? I could go into so many things, but I'm going to make this very simple. Write this phone number down and call it. 888-388-2683. Excuse me. 888-388-2683. Call that number and someone will help you become a Christian. If you're already a Christian, they will encourage you in your Christian living in a very difficult world. I'm glad you listened all the way to the end of this episode. Thank you for doing that. If you liked it, like the episode, follow the podcast, and share the podcast right now. Be a missionary. Be a gospel spreader like the witnesses that we just read about. Share it with someone who needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. If the Lord doesn't come first and I'm still alive next week, then we'll be back with episode 8 and we'll go further in the seventh trumpet. In Revelation, God rules. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.